0: The year is 1386. In a packed square in the French town of Filet, a murderer is about to be hanged. Prior to hanging and upon application of the rule of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the accused's legs and head are slashed with a knife as a recompense for a similar mangling that caused the death of the child victim. Rope around neck, jeers, air thick with guilt, a last breath, the floor underneath gives way. The rope tightens. When legs finally stop twitching, The only movement that remains is the swinging of a body from side to side. While at first this may not seem such a strange scene in medieval France, the hanging of murderers was commonplace after all. In this case, the accused was a pig. Interestingly, trials like this were not a rarity. As records dating back to ancient Greece show, animals were often tried for crimes and when found guilty, usually sentenced to death. Some notable and very real animal trials include a Swedish rooster that was burned at the stake for allegedly laying an egg, and the rats of Orton, who are charged with eating the town's barley crop. When the rats failed to appear in court, their barrister argued that his clients could not attend their trial safely for fear that they would be eaten by cats along the way. Although these cases are amusing, they illustrate the complex relationships between humans and animals and their regulation under the law. While historically some philosophers saw animals as incapable of thought, even considering their cries for pain as nothing more than the sounds of malfunctioning machines, today it is almost universally recognized that animals are sentient and have the ability to experience both pain and pleasure. Hi, my name is Tulper Gunn, and welcome to the next installment of McCabe Kerwood's Trial by Podcast. In this podcast, we'll be looking at the laws regulating animals today, and two competing theories of how this law should evolve. Lastly, we'll have a look at some interesting developments currently happening in the world of animal law. When we hear the terms animal welfare and animal rights, we may think of them as interchangeable. However, as two distinct theories, they are often at odds with one another. The first theory, animal welfare, is the current approach to regulating animals in Australia and most of the other countries around the world. This theory is fostered by the belief that animals are able to be owned as property and that they may be used for our own means, provided they are treated humanely and no unnecessary suffering is caused. This tenet of unnecessary suffering is codified in New South Wales law, for example under Section 4 of the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, which defines an act of animal cruelty as one where an animal is unreasonably, unnecessarily or unjustifiably, among other things, beaten, kicked, killed or inflicted with pain. So, when will suffering be considered unnecessary? The courts have assessed this according to a test known as the proportionality principle, as established by Ford and Wiley, a case from 1889, which concerned a farmer who had decided to saw the horns off of his cattle. The court reasoned that for an operation causing pain to be justifiable, a balance must be struck between the legitimacy of the operation's purpose and the way that operation is performed, with the court also considering any available alternatives. Despite evidence that dehorned cattle were more valuable and allowed more animals to be packed into a single pen, the court found that this did not outweigh the cruelty of the operation. The Ford and Wiley principle was recently referred to and applied in the 2016 South Australian case of Wilson and the RSPCA. In this case, a man appealed a conviction for trapping, then shooting a cat that belonged to his neighbours. Despite arguing that he thought the cat was a stray that posed a threat to native wildlife, The court dismissed the appeal, finding that this was not a legitimate purpose, as no native wildlife was in imminent danger, and the man had failed to inquire whether his neighbours in fact owned the cat. A common criticism of the proportionality principle is that the balance of any act performed is often skewed in favour of human interests from the outset, thus objectively cruel acts are justified, with trivial human and economic interests often outweighing real animal suffering. Interestingly, this balancing of interests validates acts done in certain contexts and to certain animals that would otherwise be prohibited. This contextual valuing of certain animals over others is codified in our legislation through a range of exceptions for an offence to animal cruelty. For example, Section 9 of the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act states that confined animals must be exercised and not kept in cages too small to allow for adequate movement, unless that animal is a stock animal stock animals, as defined in the legislation, are those animals commonly used in farming, such as cattle, sheep, and pigs. Thus, two animals kept in identical conditions may be offered different protections under animal cruelty legislation, merely because of their species. Similarly, Section 503 of the New South Wales Crimes Act states that one does not commit an offence of serious animal cruelty if done for agricultural or animal husbandry purposes. In summary. Under animal welfare theory, improved treatment of animals is achieved by tightening regulations to reduce unnecessary suffering, changes sought within the incumbent legal framework and without challenging the status quo. In contrast, for the theory of animal rights, it is not a question of treatment or regulation, but an attempt to end animal use altogether. Often presented as an extension of the human rights movement, this school of thought seeks to abolish the property status of animals and to establish them as non-human persons capable of holding rights under the law. Rights theorists argue that the commodification of animals is akin to slavery, where no amount of regulation will alleviate suffering, as beating a slave ten times a week rather than eleven does not question the underlying legitimacy of slavery. Furthermore, for these theorists, considering animals as property likens them to inanimate objects and fails to recognize their inherent value as living beings. While some rights theorists believe that formal rights should only be granted to animals recognised as possessing greater mental capacities and rational function, such as great apes, elephants, dolphins and whales, the more extreme theorists believe rights should extend to all animals, and under such a theory, any animal use or ownership, including owning pets, would be prohibited. As can be seen, animal rights and animal welfare are not only different. But often champion theoretical underpinnings that are at odds with one another. For example, rights theorists who adopt an all-or-nothing approach actually view improvements in animal welfare as detrimental to the cause. They argue that the marginal improvements received by animals, such as slightly bigger cages, are often offset by the harm done by placating the public, by inducing the belief that animals are treated better than they are. Thus, those who would abstain from using animals are lulled into a false sense of security and any meaningful improvement is stalled. However, others such as prominent animal lawyer Jonathan LaVaughn criticizes this all-or-nothing rights-based approach, believing it negates the interests of billions of animals currently living. LaVaughn argues that while society desires improvements in animal treatment, we are not willing, at least currently, to agree to such a radical overhaul of our legal system and stop using animals altogether. For LaVaughn, rather than getting trapped in a seductive web of animal rights theory, we should recognize that law evolves in a piecemeal fashion, and we should work to bridge the gap between where society is willing to go in terms of reform and the laws currently regulating animals. Succinctly, he states that law does not change society, society changes the law. Probably the most interesting development in the world of animal law today is being championed by the non-human rights project, a group seeking judicial recognition of legal personhood and fundamental rights of higher-order mammals held in captivity, such as great apes, elephants, dolphins and whales. Basing their arguments on extensive scientific evidence of self-awareness and intellectual autonomy, the group brings petitions of habeas corpus on behalf of their animal clients. Habeas corpus is a centuries-old writ, which grants a prisoner the right to be brought in front of a court to test the legitimacy of their imprisonment, and this was an instrumental tool in helping end human slavery in the 18th and 19th centuries. Some of the group's clients include elephants Karen, Bueller, and Minnie, who were used in a circus, chimpanzees Hercules and Leo, who were employed as research subjects, and chimpanzee Kiko, a former actor. With the judges in all their cases holding that animals do not have the right to a hearing according to habeas corpus the non-human rights project is yet to be successful in the courts. Progress is however being made. Initially their applications were thrown out automatically but now they are being legitimately heard by courts on their substantive merits. In a major procedural victory for the group and paving the way for future cases to build upon A judge in New York found that whether recognizing the legal rights of individual chimpanzees will open the door to rights for all animals is not a rational reason for denying relief, and that the definition of who is a person under the law is not a question of biology, but of public policy and constantly evolving principles.